I'm Trevor Cummings, and these are my thoughts on money. Hello, and welcome to the Thoughts on Money podcast, what we like to call Tom. I'm Trevor Cummings, your host of the podcast and your author of the blog. I'm here with my good friend and co-worker here in Newport Beach, California, Woo! Sean Latimer. Hello, everyone. Hello, and welcome. And today we're going to be talking about the gratification game. And Sean, I'll let you intro because you read the article and you were surprised because... Okay, so yeah, as Trevor has said in the past, he typically writes these the day of, and I get a copy about 10 whole minutes before we record this, and it blew... That makes it sound like we don't do any prep work. Well, I mean, we're (laughs) always prepared, you know, but it was pretty amazing because I was just talking about this. Uh, I listened to a podcast, and the creator of Spartan Races, they're these uh, obstacle course mud runs. that for the listeners that don't know what it is, you can look it up. It's pretty cool. But the guy who created it... And you and your wife do these Spartan runs. Yeah, we, we do these Spartan races. It's fun. It's She's a marathon runner. I'm never going to run a marathon. I like the idea of doing like a mud run obstacle course. So this was like a, a happy in between. Yeah. So I listened to this. Uh, the guy is talking about the marshmallow experiment. And I've heard about it in the past, but he was talking about, um, you know, these kids. And Give some context about what the marshmallow experiment is. So these kids, they have a group of kids, and I believe they're five, six, seven years old. And the thought is they want to give them a marshmallow and ask them, hey, you can have this marshmallow now. It's yours. But if you wait to eat it, we'll give you two marshmallows in a certain time frame. 15 yeah, minutes, 15 minutes, hour, 20 minutes, whatever. whatever. Yeah. And... The, the experiment is, and I don't know about the results, but this is just what is said, is that the kids that waited for two, they would track them over time and they would find that they would score better in school and maybe have more success in different parts of life. And they think that there's a correlation there. And it's pretty amazing. So the reason why he was talking about it is he had a six-year-old son and he said, hey, we should try this because I want to know if our son's a self-starter and he's ahead of the game or if we're going to have to like motivate him. And so he and his wife, they gave him a scoop of ice cream. And they said, hey, you can eat this, but if you wait, you can get two scoops. And so then you leave the room because if you're standing there, they might feel pressure to do one or the other. So he leaves the room and he comes back. And I don't know if he might be making this up, but he said, hey, dad, what do I have to do to get 10 scoops? And he he was like, like, how long would I have to wait? He was ecstatic. He was like, oh, my gosh, he's an entrepreneur. He's going to do great things. And so it was funny because my wife and I, Sarah, were just talking about this because my son Mason is six. And I thought, oh, this is such a good idea. I want to try this. This all happened like three days ago. Then I walk in and I read this article about the marshmallow experiment. So, I've Yeah. Been... It, the whole idea of the experiment was this idea of testing delayed gratification. And I, I don't know if they're trying to get it at, is it like nature or nurture by trying to use such a young sample size of kids? Or maybe just the consistency of what that has in your character and behavior in the future. Because like you said, they did go back 10 years later, look at SAT scores and these other figures of what they're measuring as success, and try to look at um, this control group and, and figure out, was this decision made and how did it influence? If you actually read about the marshmallow study, it's actually even more complex. Like some of them, they put toys in there to distract them. Some, they gave no distractions and they were just using all these different variables to see kind of how kids would make choices. Um, but this experiment has come under scrutiny, like most experiments, right? You, you can't get away from that. If you do an experiment 30 years ago, uh, you have 30 years for people to uh, critique. And yeah, they, and they always say like, oh, they didn't factor this in or it's not fair. And yeah. Or what ends up happening is people go and repeat the test and then it's out of sample, right? Because right. they're looking to see, okay, we're going to repeat the test and now look at 10 years later for our group. And that if it doesn't give the same results, then it 
questions the reliability of the mm-hmm. earlier study. But that's actually not my point. My my point was more of this study, kind of like you're talking about your the gentleman from the Spartan race, it was testing for kind of a binary result. Were these kids uh, patient or impatient? Mm-hmm. Um, or were they able to delay pleasure um, for something, a greater good in the end? Um, and my argument is maybe it's not all about that. And I want to give you this example. Like when you're talking about ice cream rather than marshmallows, if you came to me right now and you said you can have a scoop of ice cream, the 35-year-old Trevor now, or I could wait 30 minutes and get two scoops of ice cream, I probably don't want two scoops of ice cream. (laughs) So I would eat the one scoop of ice cream now. But does that mean I'm impatient? Yeah, it's funny. We were talking about this as we were walking in, and you kind of gave me a different perspective because I've gone to lunch with a friend before, and we're at a restaurant, and they say, hey – you know, we're buying a sandwich and it's $6. But if you spend 50 cents more, there's a special, you get two sandwiches. And my thought is maybe because I'm, you know, value minded, I go, oh, what a deal for sure. Getting two sandwiches, even if I don't want to, I want, I'm getting the deal. And I remember my friend saying, no, I'm not that hungry. I'm just going to get one. And I looked at him like he was crazy. I didn't understand it. But you, you do bring up a good point that maybe one, you know, fits the bill. Yeah. And for me, it's weird because anytime you're looking at something, there is multiple factors and variables. When I hear the story you just told about the 50 cents extra to get a $6 sandwich, I'm kind of similar to your friend. I hate to waste food. Like my, my wife and I, we went on a date this last week, which is kind of few and far between lately with having uh, two kids under two. So we went on a date. In-laws were watching the kids. And uh, at the end, you know, we're on a date. We want to stay longer. So we're going to order dessert. I asked the waitress, hey, I'm going to order this cheesecake. But is this the size of cheesecake that you should probably split? Or is it like enough for one person? Because some places you're getting a sliver Mm -hmm. and some places you're getting a quarter of the pie or whatever. So um, she's like, no, it's really meant for one person. So she brings it out and it's like this huge slice of cheesecake. (laughs) And for somebody who's built like Trevor, I'm like bummed because my mindset is I don't want to waste this. And now I feel forced into eating this whole thing. So you ate all of it. Uh, No, I didn't. I ate (laughs) half of it and we brought the other half for my father-in-law. But it's funny as it sounds, I just hate wasting food. So it, it puts me in an awkward predicament. We digress a little bit. So what this was really about is there will be these things in life where you are offered the incentive or opportunity to delay engagement um, and to get something more out of it. And where I made the segue here was about Social Security. And I'm going to tell you right now, Social Security is an absolute topic we talk to a lot of clients about. Um, it's a conversation piece. It's absolutely part of financial planning. But man, it's really hard to write an article about Social Security. Mm-hmm. It's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. And I think that um, I get that question a lot, especially early in a relationship with a client, is they say, you know, what's your opinion on this? And uh, the the one answer that I don't even like this answer, but well, it depends. And then you start to go into the person that it applies to and their circumstance. And and it's kind of a long-winded answer of saying, well, it's different for everyone. Yeah, and you have to go through all those factors in planning. And I was also saying it's a hard topic to write about because it's kind of boring. I mean, it's Social Security. It's not like uh, the sexiest topic to talk about. But what I wanted to juxtapose the Social Security decision is with this marshmallow experiment because – What happens with marshmallow experiment is if your kid does eat that one marshmallow, it's disappointing. (laughs) You're thinking that they they don't have the ability to be – yeah, they have no (laughs) self-control. They don't have the ability to be patient. And I feel like what financial authors do uh, in our world is they write all these articles about how – the best thing to do is to delay taking your Social Security, regardless of your situation. It makes you feel like a sucker. 
that you left money on the table and you didn't do it right. Exactly. You left money on the table. Like, you're not patient. Everybody should claim it 70. And I'm here to write this article and say, no, that's absolutely not true. Yes, you can look at the arithmetic that if you live long enough, delaying means that you extract more money from the Social Security Department. But that is not the primary or only factor when you're making a financial plan. There are a lot of other pieces you have to consider. You have to consider, when does the person actually want to retire? Mm -hmm. Because if they want to retire at 62, and the Social Security means that they'll take a little lower withdrawal from their portfolio, which makes that withdrawal rate sustainable, it's probably a good idea to claim at 62. If they're planning to keep working at 62, and they claim at 62, you and I both know that there's this stipulation with... um, Social Security, that you'll actually get a lower Social Security amount, mm-hmm. right? For every $2 you earn over, uh, you know, seventeen or $18,000, they'll reduce your benefit by a dollar. So for that situation, it absolutely doesn't make sense to claim it 62. So then you start to say, oh, this is a planning decision, which means this is an extremely personal decision mm-hmm. um, and something that somebody should factor in with their advisor and that there shouldn't be this shaming feeling that uh, if you don't wait till 70, you're a dum-dum. Right. I, you mentioned that there's a lot of variables, and uh, maybe I'm putting you on the spot right now, but I'm sure you've gotten this question. What, what do you think about the possible reduced benefit in the future? At, I believe it's you know 75%, 2035, or uh, I, I've heard maybe I've read a few things that talk about maybe means testing or things in the future where that could dramatically impact if someone's getting Social Security to begin with. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I like, I don't remember the name of the gentleman, so I should give him credit, but I listened to an interview this week and he was asked a similar thing. And one thing that he said, and nothing is set in stone, but he was basically saying, if you've reached the age of 55, you're probably pretty safe because they don't want to make any changes that would affect you within the next five or 10 years. They almost want to grandfather you into whatever policy or program that they currently have, right? Nobody in administration is going to change something that would change a 55-year-old voter to kind of pull the rug out from under them. Right. can be kind of confusing to understand, but what it's really saying is that if you're younger, if you're 35, 45, or whatever, they absolutely can change it for you. Um, what you're referring to is on a social security check on the bottom, it says that those funds will be challenged or whatever in the year 2035 based on these actuarial projections. Um, But what you have to look at is they can make adjustments to how Social Security works, not to say that you're going to get less benefit, but what if they changed the full retirement age for people that are currently in their 30s or 40s? What if full retirement age right now is 67, right? Mm -hmm. What if for me and you, it was 70? Or what if for the next generation it was 72 because people are living longer? What does that do? Well, like we talked about last week, that's a leverage point. You start changing these things like when you can claim and and other things like that. um, It starts to make a huge difference on those actuarial forecasts. So I don't think it's as doom or gloom as people say. And I'm never using this idea that, hey, catch it while you can, claim now so they can't pull the rug out from under you. I, I don't think that's what's going to happen. I think, like this gentleman said, if you're within 10 years or so from being able to claim, you're probably pretty safe to whatever the policy is now. That's going to be when you get there. Um, if you're younger, you probably should just assume that those full retirement ages are going to be pushed out. And if you do the math on that, that's a way to solve this issue that you're talking about. 
I don't want to get into too many of those details and those nuances, but I do think people should understand Social Security at its its basics. Um, like I said, if you're born after a certain year, um, which you can reference it in the article, your full retirement age is going to be age 67. So really what your choice is going to be is if you claim at 62 rather than 67, you're going to get 70% of what that amount would be. If you claim at 70 rather than 67, you're going to get 124%. And in between the 70% and 124%, there's every increment based on how many age plus months you are, um, which gives you freedom to claim and adjust what that benefit is. So what you have to decide for yourself is, does it make sense to claim at fill in the blank age for your particular situation. And like I said, it's a planning discussion. Right. You have to get with your financial planner and understand what does it mean to your investment portfolio if you claim earlier? What does it mean to um, your prospects of working after 62? Um, and you have to factor in all those things when making the decision. Yeah, and a, a couple other things that people probably don't think about is you know longevity. You look at your health and if, if someone's in poor health and they're not anticipating to live uh, in later years, that's something to consider. And then also the spousal benefit. So if they are able to wait, and maybe the spouse will have a larger benefit, but those are all moving parts, like you said, that it depends on the person. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned the spousal benefit, because a lot of people don't know that the spousal benefit is out there. That um, really, the way the system is set up is that if a spouse never worked a day in their life and doesn't have an earnings record, they still have a claim at 50% of their spouse's benefit. And what happens when you realize that is you realize that for a lot of people, Social Security is going to be a significant amount of money, mm-hmm. right? If somebody was a high income earner and they have a claim to $40,000 a year and then um, their spouse has a claim to another $20,000 a year, that's $60,000. Yeah. Um, and let's say that they're budgeting to spend 180000 30% is covered by Social Security. Even if they were planning to spend uh, $240,000, even that uh, incremental amount, it still moves the needle. It um, it's not something that should be forgotten or not considered in a financial plan. I think the other thing that people need to remember is because there is this kind of shaming out there saying that, oh, you should claim later, you should claim later. Um, you have to unpack the reasoning for that. And I think you alluded to that when you talked about longevity. And maybe I can just kind of baton pass. What do you mean by that? If if, if you don't live as long or what factor that would make? Well, it's kind of interesting because we've talked about it in the past with financial planning and projections where we'll run financial plans till people are 100. And I hear often, oh, I'm never going to make it that far. But the thought is, well, what if you do and you run out of money, right? Well, it's kind of the same topic because I have had people that unfortunately have had serious medical concerns and and there's uh, been patterns of that in their family history. And so they do look at it. So where they go, you know, I don't necessarily know if I will make it to full retirement age or later. So would it make sense to go sooner? And that's just something to keep in mind. Yeah. And I think another thing kind of similar on that note is looking at and I don't know a better word to use, but kind of the utility of money or kind of how you can derive the most joy from it. And I'm going to circle back to an earlier thing we were talking about in this conversation is this idea, if you offered me one scoop of ice cream now or two scoops later, um, I really, I only need one scoop of ice cream. That's as much as I want. There's a diminishing return of joy when I start to eat more ice cream where I just feel like crap, right? That's such a good point. And you mentioned it at the beginning where 
you know, the math might make sense that if you do exceed a certain age, if you're, you know, past 80 years old, you're technically getting more money. But for most people that I talk to, they plan on traveling and enjoying their grandkids and doing fun things and, you know, maybe 60s and 70s. And when they're 85, they're probably not going to be traveling. They're going to be on the couch watching The Price is Right and not spending as much money. So like you said, that utility is really important. Yeah, um, because if you claim at 62 versus 67, what does that mean? It means you're getting income from Social Security five years earlier. Mm -hmm. That five years adds up. And I kind of look at it as this way, is imagine that um, 62 67 and 70 are a horse race, right? Well, 62 gets to start the race earlier. It's not the fastest horse because you're not getting as much money. 67 starts a little later and 70 starts a little later. So what ends up happening is there's a point on the racetrack where 67 passes 62 and 70 passes 67. And we're calling that the break-even point. So when you look at that for Social Security, you might find that the break-even point is like 78 or 80 years old. So then the conversation you start having is, okay, 78 or 80 years old, but what about from 62 to 67? What could I do with that money? Um, what's my health like? Uh, what's my opportunities of things I can do and that I want to do? What are my hobbies, my joys? Like there might be more utility for that money in that five-year period than deferring it in hope that in latter years you'd get more. And the argument works the same on the other side. If your financial plan's tight, need to work a little longer, and there's a chance that you might need uh, a lot of medical help in the future, man, maybe that increased benefit will cover those medical expenses in the future. So that's why it is an it-depends answer. Mm -hmm. There's a joke to be made when I say it depends when we're talking about getting into our older age, but I'll skip over that yeah, for this uh, podcast. We'll skip that Trevor joke. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, so what other things have you seen with clients when you're talking about Social Security? Um and what I'm kind of looking to is, is there similarities with conversations? Do most people coming to you want to claim at 62? Do most of them plan to defer to 70? Have they done a lot of planning and thinking about it? Are they familiar with it? What's your uh, normal experience? So the normal experience is it's something that most clients are concerned with, but they don't necessarily understand it or have a plan for it. Uh, I've had people ask me, what's your opinion on it? And I give them my, well, it depends. If you're in this category, this might work. If you're in that category, that might work. And then they're almost, it almost seems like they were satisfied with no matter what answer I gave. They just wanted to know that it's something we are looking into. So that way, when they do get to that decision time, they have someone to lean on for advice. Yeah, it's a good point. And, and I wrote about, I didn't really write on it, kind of touched on it in the article, is that that claiming strategy, it actually can invest, it, it can change the way that your investment portfolio is designed, right? Because if you have this stable source of income, it can absolutely change how much fixed income you own in your portfolio, and it might allow you to be a little bit more aggressive and change the structure of your portfolio. If we go back to that idea that um, somebody plans on spending $180,000 a year, and let's say they have a, a $4 million portfolio, right? Um, $180,000 divided by $4 million, you can do the math on what that withdrawal rate is. Well, what does the withdrawal rate look like when you tear it down from 60000 for Social Security, now you're getting 120000 expenses needs to be covered by a $4 million portfolio. Uh, we do the math right now, but all you have to say is it's going to be a smaller number, mm -hmm. right? And if it's a smaller number of income that needs to be produced, what happens? Typically less volatility, maybe less risk, much easier stomach path. Yeah, and you can also begin to set aside extra funds for 
uh, longer time horizons. Um, maybe you could start investing in uh, a little bit more heavily in private equity, or maybe you can take a huger allocation to emerging markets. Now, why would I have a conversation like that? Because the belief is those type of assets over a long period of time, like a decade, um, have the highest expected rate of return. But when it comes to investing, you can't always seek the highest expected rate of return because you need a path that aligns with your withdrawal rates. So Social Security becomes a factor in this. And that's why I'm saying it's not super simple. Um, And as it might not be the most sexy conversation, uh, more people want to talk about the investments and the allocation, everything like that. They relate. Um, And to be able to see how those intertwine, I think, is extremely important for a client. Absolutely. We'd be beating a dead horse if we talked about Social Security anymore. We did it. (laughs) We did it. Uh, The advice I left at the end was that clients should go to ssa.gov. There's a retirement benefit estimator on there. Really easy. Fill out your information. Your earnings record is kept there, um, and they'll basically show you what your benefit would be at full retirement age as well as 62 and 70. I would say you print that out, you bring it to your advisor, that's where you start the conversation. And you start to discuss what is the optimal claiming strategy for me. Uh, And it's just a really great conversation to have with your financial advisor. And the advisor will appreciate it too because it shows that you're engaged. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, that's a good place to end. Uh, We talk about that a lot at lunch. Uh, An advisor wants an engaged client. Um, That's our ultimate desire is to have fruitful, valuable conversations with clients. Uh, And the more you're engaged, uh, the more it makes our job enjoyable because we're seeing the value we're adding to someone's uh, financial plan, right? Yep. This is the time of the podcast where we ask you to rate the podcast, leave your comments, and as always, you can email us with questions. Maybe you have specific questions about your situation in Social Security and you want to have a conversation. Great. Email me at tcummings at thebonsongroup.com or sean at slatimer at thebonsongroup.com. And of course, we will be back next week with more of our Thoughts Thoughts on on money. Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there is no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance and is not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. Any opinions, news, research, analysis, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team and Hightower shall not in any way be liable for claims and make no expressed or implied representations or warranties as to the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information, or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information referenced herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This podcast was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates. Hightower Advisors do not provide tax or legal advice. This material was not intended or written to be used or presented to any entity as tax advice or tax information. Tax laws vary based on the client's individual circumstances and can change at any time without notice. Clients are urged to consult their tax or legal advisor before establishing a retirement plan.